title of my message this morning is, Who Switched the Price Tags? Who Switched the Price Tags? And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn to Matthew chapter 23. I'm going to begin reading with verse 37, verses 37, 38, and 39. On this Palm Sunday, we read again in Matthew chapter 23, beginning with verse 37. Jesus speaking says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those that sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I likewise would ask that you would turn to John 3.16, a verse that you may know well. verse says, For God so loved the world, and in that world is included you today, that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Heavenly Father, we come into this place today, which is a gathering place for Your people. And Lord, we don't know what You have in store for us or who You're going to speak to in a special way, but we do know that You anoint Your Word and You said that when it is proclaimed, it doesn't return without results. And so, Lord, I pray today that you would allow me to experience the freedom and the anointing of your Holy Spirit as I proclaim word. I pray that it would reach the hearts of those that you desire to speak to and that we would begin to recognize our value in you today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus had just made a climb on a road that had gone from about 1,200 feet above sea level to almost 2,500 feet above sea level. He's standing on a point where he can overlook Jerusalem. As he's looking at that, there's a crowd that's about to begin to celebrate his arrival. His disciples are excited. Many people think that he's about to come and set up an earthly kingdom. And Jesus, in the middle of their celebration, looks at Jerusalem and begins to weep. Begins to hurt inside. And he looks at them and he quotes these words, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, as he begins to cry out for this city because... He begins to look at the city and recognize that they have completely missed out on the fact that he was there and what he intended to do. The overarching thought of this as he was preparing himself to come is he began to look at them and say, You have fallen for the wrong value system. You have looked for the wrong things. You've let the wrong people tell you what needs to be done and you have not heard the voice of God as it relates to what could have taken place if you had only known my presence is here. Basically, he was looking at them and weeping because they didn't know how much they were worth. I did a little study this week to find out how much the human body is worth. Do you know that it's made up of 65% oxygen, 18% carbon, 10% hydrogen, 3% nitrogen, 1.5% calcium, 1% phosphorus, and then trace amounts of potassium, sulfur, sodium, chlorine, magnesium, iron, and iodine? That's what you're made of. You want to know how much all of that stuff costs if I was to buy it at the drugstore? One dollar. So next time somebody comes up to you and says, How much are you worth? You can think in terms of the physical body. Well, the elements would cost a buck. 
However, when I looked up another website, I was directed to a magazine article that says that medically speaking, there's a different price tag on your human body. In fact, based on the survey that was published from Wired magazine that doctors had responded to, it says that the human body is this. Number one, bone marrow is worth $23 million within a human body based on 1,000 grams at $23,000 per gram. Your DNA can, fit, can fetch $9.7 million, while extracting antibodies can bring $7.3 million. A lung is worth $116,400, a kidney $91,400, a heart $57,000, and if you're a woman, you're worth more. We all know why. A woman's body is worth more than men's because a fertile woman can sell 32 egg cells over eight years for an extra $224,000. And so, based on those cost estimates of how much medically we are worth, on those days when you wake up and you're feeling like a million bucks, you've sold yourself short. You're worth about 45 million bucks. Some of you that are taller may be worth more. I read this really humorous story that a few years ago, prowlers broke into a store. And they broke in shortly after the store had closed, and they didn't leave until shortly before the store opened the next morning. And they spent the entire night going through this enormous store, and they didn't steal a thing. All they did was go around and switch price tags. They took a $300 or $395 camera price tag and put it on stationery and switched the stationery to the camera. They took a $25 book price tag and switched it with an outboard motor. They took $200 china set and switched it with a $20 child's toy. They repriced everything in the whole store. And the craziest thing is it took four hours the next morning for the employees to recognize what had happened. That morning, some people got great buys. And some people got ripped off. You're going, that is unbelievable. That's hard to believe. It shouldn't be. Because we see the same thing happening every day within our world. People are switching the price tags on the difference of things that are valuable. Number one this morning, we live in a worldview that has a distorted value system. We are deluged with a distorted value system. We see valuable things in life peddled for pennies and cheap things in life go for millions. And the examples are abundant. These are just some of them that I have read recently. A salesman standing before a judge was defending himself in his illegal practices by looking at the judge and saying, listen, don't confuse business with ethics. A cabinet minister of a large nation who was caught illegally dealing semi-precious stones from his own country and his cabinet position was the minister of justice. Father, being interrogated by a police officer, asked why he had killed his 12-year-old daughter, said, because she wouldn't sleep with me. Why does mankind do what they do? Why are priceless morals trashed and the selfless standards obeyed? Our values are messed up. Because somebody has changed all the price tags. And it all started when mankind was convinced that we were headed nowhere. When we let people begin to tell us that we were worthless. When we begin to let somebody else tell us what our value was. You see, it first started by somebody telling us that man has no destiny. That we're in a cycle. 
that there's really no rhyme and no reason to life. No reason to really we exist. It's just that we are placed here. And somewhere we got the idea that we are meaninglessly trapped on this puny mud heap called earth. And that it's going around in a circle, but nothing is really ever happening. And that we have no destination as mankind. And that we are just on a spinning mausoleum. And the universe is purposeless. And creation was incidental. And humanity has no direction. And the second verse to this becomes even worse. Because if man has no destiny, then he has no duty. There's nothing that we must do. We have no obligations. We have no responsibilities. If man has no destiny, then he has no guidelines. If man has no destiny, then he has no goals. And if man has no destiny, then who's to say who is right and who is wrong? Who's to say that a man can't leave his wife and children just because he's unhappy? Who's to say that a woman can't abort a fetus just because it's inconvenient? What's wrong with doing what I want if it feels good to me because I am the only one that should be the judge of my value or what I do because I've got no destiny and I've got no duty. I choose my own value system. And who's to say that I can't step on anybody and use anybody I want on my way to the top because this life is all there is and nobody's going to look out for me but me, so I'll do whatever it takes. And if I hurt you in the meantime, then you should have watched out better. You see, it's your value system against mine, they say. Because there are no absolutes and no principles and no ethics and no standards. Because nobody can place a value on me. And so life, for those who feel this way, is reduced to weekends and paychecks and quick, quick thrills. And the bottom line for that is a life that is disastrous. And if a man has no duty and he has no destiny, then the next logical step for us is that man has no value. If a man has no future, he isn't worth much. In fact, he would be worth as much as a tree or a rock or worth as much as the whales or the polar bears. We can begin to get to a point where we have brought all things into equal value and nothing is more important than anything else because man has no great value. And this is why we live in a world where so many people feel absolutely useless and absolutely worthless. But there is something within man that wants to be valuable. There's something within us that we know that without God, we live in a created false value system. And so what we see around us is that the world looking for value begins to create its own value system. And then we all begin to be forced into this false created value system. And here's how it shows up. We start telling our little girls when they're very young, you're only valuable if you're pretty. We place it on magazines and we begin to set before them the idea of what a valuable woman looks like. And we tell them that the only thing that matters is how you look, not who you are or the character of which you live. And we force people into a false value system. We begin to tell people you're only valuable in this value system if you can produce something. We say you're only valuable if you wear a Syracuse jersey and can slam dunk a basketball. You're only valuable if you can play football. You're only valuable if you can hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball or pitch a curveball and strike people out. That your value is based on our entertainment. 
You're only valuable if you have a doctor in front of your name or a Ph.D. at the end of it. Or you're only valuable if you command a high salary or drive a nice car or have nice things because this is what we begin to look at and say, that's what I want to be. And the false value system of the world captures us. And so now we live in a world today in which our value system is driven by two criteria. Appearance and performance. You're either valuable by the way you look or you're valuable by what you do. And we as a church live in a world where that's the value system. It's pretty tough, isn't it? As I was thinking about that, that doesn't leave a lot of room for five foot eight bald guys. The only time I've ever dunked a basketball was off a trampoline. Doesn't leave a lot of room for the way most of humanity looks, the way most of humanity does things. And this is the value system that we live in. But please understand, this is the value system when Jesus was looking down at Jerusalem when he's going, if you'd only known your value that he was speaking of, because God has a different value system. You see, if there was ever anything that Jesus wanted everybody to understand, it was this. A person is worth something simply because you're a person He created. That's why Jesus treated people the way He did. I want you to think about it. And rather than turning to all these Scriptures this morning, let me just reference a few things for you. There's a passage of Scripture in John chapter 8 and verses 2 through 11 where there was a humiliated woman that had been caught in the act of adultery. And in order to try to trap Jesus, they literally drugged this humiliated woman The Pharisees before Jesus, knowing that according to the law, she must be stoned to death. And they plopped her, this humiliated, probably weeping woman in front of Jesus and said, what would you do with her? And Jesus looks at the woman and looks at the accusers. And the Bible says that he knelt down and he began to draw something in the dirt. I can't wait to get to heaven and read what he wrote in the dirt. Because whatever he drew was powerful. And at the end of that episode, he looks up. And everybody that had accused her had wandered off. And he goes, where are your accusers? And she goes, they're left. And he goes, then go and sin no more. And this woman who was caught in the most humiliating moment of her life when she deserved nothing, received his forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 8 and verses 2 and 3, the Bible describes a leper. Leper at the time were those that nobody wanted to be near. They wouldn't even let them live in the city. They had to live outside the gates, so they sent them away. And a leper comes running up to Jesus to the best of his ability and falls down in front of him. And the Bible tells us in that verse that Jesus did something nobody does. Touched him. He's untouchable. Jesus, don't you know what you're doing? I'm not shaking your hand after that. We get a little worried about coughing flu germs. The Bible says he knelt before Jesus and Jesus touched the untouchable. Matthew chapter 20, verses 32 through 24, two blind men that were welfare cases that cluttered the road around Jericho where people kept telling them to be quiet and leave us alone. You're just going to bother Jesus. Beggars that nobody wanted to be around. And Jesus stopped when they screamed out his name. And he went over there and he spoke to them. And Jesus honored them with his attention. What kind of value system does Jesus have, the people are saying, if He honors people like this? 
John chapter 9, verse 7 talks about an old, worn out, addicted man to self pity who was near the pool of Shalom. Jesus mixed some mud together and stuck it in his eye sockets and created vision within him and told him to go wash in the pool. And he healed him. He healed him. If he's humiliated, he forgives. Those who nobody will be around, he touches. Those who everybody ignores, He honors. Those who can't do anything on their own, He heals. What kind of a value system does God have? And then let's move to some of that are closest to Him. Let's talk about Peter for a minute. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 18. Beginning with verse 17, and then I'm going to Jump a little bit here. And rather than reading all of this, just keep your thumb there. Peter had just had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus had begun to outline what was going to happen to him. Because I'm going to die. These things must happen. Looks at Peter and says, you're going to blow it. Just want you to know that right up front. And Peter is furious with Jesus. He says, there is no way. You can count on me. These other 11, I'm not so sure about. But me, I'm a rock. When Jesus begins to be mistreated, the Bible tells us that Peter's warming his hands up by fire. And other people look at him and they're looking at Jesus taking all these things taking place and say, weren't you with him? He goes, nope. Nope. Somebody else comes up to him and says, Peter, weren't you with him? Didn't I see you with him? No, nope. Somebody else comes up to him and challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And Peter says, denies it and said in that moment, the Bible says that the crow began. And Peter instantly knew he had failed Jesus badly. And Peter represents to you and I the Christian who promises God everything and then immediately fails when things get a little uncomfortable. And we look at this value system of Jesus and recognize in that moment most of us would cut Peter off and say, you're not half the man you thought you were, Peter. You promised God you'd do all of these things and the first moment that things get a little difficult, you collapse like a weak pup tent. And I have to honestly look at my life and there have been times and particularly times of crisis and maybe you've been in the same thing. You begin to make a lot of promises to God when you really need Him to come through. Times when you may have been laying in the hospital and you're going, Lord Jesus, if you'll just get me through this, I promise I will. And then you begin to get a list together. And the Lord, regardless of whether it was your promise or not, begins to bring healing to you. And you know what? When you're feeling better, sometimes you forget the promises. Some of you have been through stages of life when you didn't have two pennies to rub together. And you begin to pray, God, if you would begin to bless. And, and the Lord begins to bring provision. And then you take that provision and you do exactly what you wanted and you begin to leave God out of it. And we look at people like that and say, well, in my value system, you've messed up with God. You don't deserve much grace. And Peter could easily have wandered away thinking, I'm never worth anything because I have failed God and couldn't even fulfill my promises. But Peter learned something about God's grace and his value on that day in the beach when in John chapter 21, beginning with verse 15, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him again the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. You see, in the value system of God, your blowing it does not remove you from the ability to receive the grace and second chance that God gives to you in His mercy. That should be an encouraging word because there's not a one of us that can stand before God perfect. We've all blown it. So how does God treat the one who'd been in relationship with Him and blew it? He values Him enough to give Him another chance and give Him grace. There's another interesting personality that takes place within this Holy Week time. His name is Malchus. Malchus is the servant of the high priest, and he is an enemy of Jesus. And in Luke 22, verses 47 through 51, it says, While he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And a man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed him. Malchus represents God's grace and his value for those that today stand as the enemies of God or people that we don't think deserve his grace. Trying to picture what that scene might have looked like when He's coming to arrest the man, and soldiers are a close-knit group of people, and Peter swings wildly, whacks off the ear. Jesus rebukes him, picks it up, and puts it back on his bloody head. And he's standing there looking at a man that he's come to arrest, and now he has been healed, and all of his buddies saw it. There are a lot of people that in our human value system don't deserve the grace of God. There are some missionaries that are in parts of the country that absolutely hate Americans, believe that we should all die, that sometimes it could be hard to love, but God's grace and His value system said they exist, they're worthy, and they're valuable, and we must pray. There are things that we hear on the news about people who have done unbelievably and indescribably horrible things and we look at them and in our hearts we're thinking they don't deserve the mercy of God. Yet their value is not based on how we feel or even what they do. Their value is based on the fact that God breathed life into them and He says, I have come that none should perish. And we value because God values. To those men that were there, it was undeniable that Jesus had the power to do all things and they'd experienced His healing firsthand. So how do we deal with those who are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ? Because in the value system of God, because they exist and they've been created, they're valuable, worthy of His grace. People that reject Christ still have value in His eyes because He knows them by name. And this leads us to the classic case study on the value of a person by Luke. It's called the value of the crucified crook. In Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43, it said, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Then save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? 
We are punished justly, justly for what we are, uh, our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. This man represents the value that God places on those who are down to their last hope. Nothing else to hope for. As you look through the group of people that the Lord interacted with, if anyone was worthless, this one was it. If any man deserved dying, this man probably did. If anyone was ever a loser, this fellow was probably at the top of the list. And perhaps that's why Jesus chose this man and this instance to show us what He thinks of the human race. Maybe this criminal had heard the Messiah speak. Maybe he had seen Him love the unlovable. Maybe he had, was hanging there and some of the knowledge of those things were thinking, maybe I've got a chance because I've seen Him interact with the punks and the pickpockets and the street thugs. Or maybe not. Maybe the only thing that he knew about the Messiah was that he saw something now in this beaten and slashed and nail-suspended preacher. And his face was crimson with blood and his bones were poking through torn flesh and his body was heaving in air. And in that moment, he recognized, as long as there is life, I need to talk to him. And something told him that he'd never been in better company. And somehow he realized that even though all he had was a prayer... He had finally met the one to whom he should pray. Jesus, will you remember me? And a man who had lived a forgettable life, there came a moment of clarity. And Jesus gave him grace. Why would he do that? What in the world did God have to gain by promising this desperado a place of honor at the banqueting table? What in the world could this loser of a man ever give him in return? I mean, the Samaritan woman, I can understand. She had time. She could go back and tell the village. There could be many saved. I can see how that could work out, Jesus. And, and Zacchaeus, hey, he could give offerings. He had something of value that he could give in return. But this guy... What could he give in return? He was in his last breaths. There was nothing that he could do to deserve grace. And that's the point. Jesus' love for you today does not depend upon what we do for him. In the eyes of the king, you are valuable because you exist, because you were born, because he made you. You don't have to look nice. You don't have to be as pretty as the girls on the magazine covers. You don't have to produce. You don't have to have a high earning potential. You don't have to have great education. You are valuable because God loves you. And in His value system, you matter. Remember the next time that somebody leaves you bobbing in the wake of their ambition, that you're valuable. The next time some trickster tries to hang a bargain basement price on your self-esteem, you remember the value system of God. Next time somebody tries to pass you off as a cheap buy, you stand up and say, I am valuable because God loves me and He gave Himself for me and I refuse to be caught into the value system of a world when I want to be in the value system of my God. And just think about the way Jesus honors you 
and smile. Because when he stood overlooking Jerusalem, he said, you've been caught in the wrong value system, Jerusalem. You didn't recognize that I was here. There's going to be some horrible things happen to you because you missed the visitation of my presence. And today, we have time. We have time today. I'm going to ask the worship team if you please come. I smile when I think of the value system of Jesus because I recognize none of us deserve a love like that. When you get right down to it, Frankly, any contribution we make, regardless of whether we think the value system of the world gives us value or not, is none of us deserve heaven, and all of us are really signing on the credit card of Jesus. You know what else makes me smile? (laughs) To think that there's a grinning ex-con running around heaven who knows more about the grace of God than a million people. Because he's there recognizing, I did not earn this but the value system of God gave me value no one gave him a prayer but that's all he needed Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8 says this although I am less than the least of all God's people this grace was given me and that grace is available to you today